amazing thing that could happen. The other Sunday night, I was coming up the, up the steps at our church and wiped out right there on the steps in front of everybody. And so I just came to the microphone and said, well, that was embarrassing. <laughs> We're moving right along. I'd like to know how many, is anybody from Alabama here? Any, any Alabama people? None. Wow. Any Bama fans here? Oh, I'll slow it down for you back there, okay? No, I'm just kidding. Good to be with you today. I've, I'm excited about being here. Pa Pastor Chapel, we have a radio station in our... Susa, we went to school together 150 years ago. She, she looks much, much younger than I do. One of the first people I met at Temple was Susa, then Ford. Um, I'm excited about being here. Nervous. Wouldn't you be nervous if you were doing this? Um, I remind myself of the young guy, he, his dream, he worked in a newsroom, and his dream was to read the news, just to be the anchor, you know. And so when, when nobody was looking, he would sit down behind the desk and practice and reading and trying to sound in his very news voice. And uh, one day it was a snow uh, storm, and the only person there was the cameraman and uh, the producer. And he said, you've got, to this young guy, you've got to read the news. And all he'd ever done was move chords and that kind of thing. And so he was so excited. His moment had finally come. And so... You know, just right before the news, he sits down behind the desk, and on the ticker tape, it came by, or the, the little, whatever you call it, that there had been, a, it was a sudden news-breaking news item that the president of Uzbekistan or somewhere died, and his name was about this long, no, no vowels, just all, you know, consonants, and he knew he was, he said, he didn't even know how to say it. What was he going to do? And he said, ladies and gentlemen, we have this breaking news story. The president of Uzbekistan has been assassinated. We're waiting to release the name after the, the next of kin have been notified. That's, what it, that's how, he, how he dealt with that thing. But I'm excited about being here. I know this is Passion Week, but I, you, know, you always struggle about what to preach about when you go to some place. I don't get out of Birmingham much. I labor there in my pulpit. I know what to do there. But you pray to be a blessing. And I want us to turn to an Old Testament passage, 1 Samuel chapter uh, 30. You're at a precarious crossroads in your life, these years, these college years, some of the most important and most formative years of your life. And your leadership here, Dr. Chapel and these other able folks who serve you, are very concerned about helping you get some things nailed down, some verities, some Ebenezer's, that you will stack stone, stones of remembrance to help navigate you through your ministry in life and whatever else the Lord has for you. Let's read the scripture together, 1 Samuel chapter 30. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and smitten Ziglag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein, and they slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. This is a devastating event in the life of David. You can imagine as they approach the smoldering ruins of their home base and nothing was there but ashes. Look in verse 6. And David was greatly distressed 
For the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. You'll remember that the Amalekites were the sworn ancient enemies of the Lord and his people. When they first left Egypt, one of the first battles, the Amalekites came against them. And in Exodus chapter 17, when they were attacked, when the victory was, remember Aaron and Hur held up the arms of Moses. And when the victory was finally realized, God told Moses, write this for a memorial. Rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. I will utterly put out of the memory the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You'll remember that King Saul was given the duty to do that. He did not. His was an incomplete obedience. You know the famous verses, to obey is better than sacrifice. He spared Agag and did not utterly annihilate the Amalekites when the Lord told him to. And so I want you to remember, folks, that the sins you do not kill will seek to kill you. Incomplete obedience today always leads the way for future failure. David is in exile. Remember, Saul is seeking his life, running from Saul's wrath and jealousy. He has hidden himself among all places, among the enemies of the Lord, the Philistines. There are two types of the world in the Old Testament. Egypt and the Philistines are a type of worldliness, the world. And there, these idolatrous anti-God people, David had no business living among them. They didn't trust him. They were, uh, were uh, he had to compromise. You remember, he pretended to be insane at one point. It was not a pretty sight. I mean, for the Lord's people are, don't make good worldlings. They're caught between two worlds, a poor example of either one. And so, as the Bible tells us, the double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And during all that time where David hid among the Philistines, he was not only in a compromised situation, uh, he was doubted by the Philistines. King Achish of Gath gave David the village of Ziglag to have a home base as he was in hiding from Saul. And from time to time, David and his men would go out and attack the Amalekites and make some effort to do damage. And while David and his men were attempting to fight alongside the Philistines, unbelievably against the Israelites, the Amalekites seized the opportunity to go to David's home base and to utterly destroy Ziglag. They burned everything away. The Bible tells us they carried the women and the children away. Literally, that means they were driving them like cattle, like animals into exile. David and his mighty men returned. The Bible says they lifted up their voices, wailing and weeping until they had no more power to weep. This is a devastating event in David's life. David has some important lessons to learn, as we all do. Hebrews 12, verse 5 says, Despise not the chastening of the Lord, and nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. 
The future king of Israel is seemingly in league with the enemies of God. But not even the future king of Israel is exempt from the spiritual laws of the kingdom of God. Verse 6, we read, David was greatly distressed. The people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved. We will reap what we sow. The laws of the spiritual universe are just as binding as the laws of the physical universe, the laws of gravity. What God has said cannot be rescinded, not even for King David. David had clearly violated this teaching of Psalm 1, that the the godly should not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the, the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. While King Achash had a soft spot, amazingly, for David in his life, the leadership of the Philistines did not. They couldn't reconcile David and his men, the Israelites, actually going to battle against Israel. It didn't make sense, did it? Reluctantly, Achash calls David and his mighty men, some 600 men, and releases them and, and says, you, we don't really need your help just now. Sometimes God turns people against us because he's working for us. And when David and his men returned, having been rebuked by the king of the Philistines, they returned back to their home base to Ziglag, their hearts melt within them. When we step outside the will of God for us, we expose ourselves to the enemies of God and we take ourselves out of the promised protection of God. This was David's first experience in receiving the chastening from the Lord. He had, and still till now, had been guided and protected by the Lord. Saul had attempted on many occasions to take his life and had not been successful. The Lord was protecting David and and keeping him. He'd already anointed him as king of Israel. Now he felt the sting from God's disciplining hand. David was greatly distressed. Young people, there will be times in our lives, sometimes at our own doing and because of our own fault, sometimes simply because we live in a fallen world where other people are sinful as well. But one thing is true, we are not exempt from distressing times. And while this is a disciplinary time in the life of David, sometimes these distressing times come just as we navigate through life, ministering and serving the Lord. There will be times when we're absolutely knocked off our feet. Now one thing you'll find at a time like this, Job found this out as well, that people around love to assign blame. That's how we operate. We often want to put a face on our distress. We try to figure out who's to blame or to lay the blame on someone else. And David's mighty men, this ragtag group of men who hung out with David during this time of exile, had they not followed him? Had they not joined him with the Philistines? Had he not provoked the Amalekites? You see, the blame is all coming back to David. If you'd not gone and stirred up the Amalekites like this, we wouldn't be in this predicament. On and on it went. Please write this down where you keep your important messages. God is always in control in every situation, even when he's chastening his children. But I will tell you that God has a way of knocking the props out from under us. 
things that we're leaning on instead of trusting Him with all of our hearts and leaning not on our own understanding, little idols that we have allowed to prop us up and that usurp His exclusive place, those things you know will have to be removed and God knows exactly how to do that. David is eating the bitter fruit of his own willfulness and stubbornness. David must do as Peter tells us, to humble himself under God's mighty hand, and he will lift him up. When this kind of disappointment and desolation comes, as it did to David, we should always examine to find out what God is trying to teach us. Sometimes the answer is not so clear. Sometimes it's not. I don't know if Job ever fully understood the reason for his testing, but David does know. He knows he's in the wrong place. God is getting our attention for a reason, and he knows exactly how to do just that. And maybe he's trying to get us away from something or somewhere or someone, guiding us back to the place where we ought to be. David has no business being with the Philistines, and neither do you, neither do I. What a dark day. David's closest associates are considering stoning the future king of Israel. They're that distressed. They're at the end of their rope. They're so overcome with grief and blame and bitterness. Later, under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, David will write, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. It's always important to learn from these graphic, biographical stories in the Old Testament. Romans teaches us that whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. And so we should read them not as the dusty artifacts of an ancient people, this real vivid moment in David's life has been preserved for us to examine and to look at. So we want to see what did David do in a time when he was greatly distressed? And what are we to do at such a time? Look here in verse 6, the latter part. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Would you say that with me? But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. King Saul is trying to kill him in wood if he could. The Amalekites are trying to annihilate him. The Philistines are a snare to him. These all represent our three great enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the Philistines represent the world here, I believe. The flesh, the Amalekites represent the flesh. King Saul represents the devil. You've got three great enemies that never go on vacation, that never stop doing what they do. The world around us, the flesh within us, and Satan, who's the prince and the power of the air. What did David do? As his men are considering picking up stones to stone him, David encouraged himself. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. 
Now, most people are waiting for someone else to encourage them. I know what it was like in college. I remember going to the Caesar, the place where the happy corner is, where all our little mailboxes were, and hoping that there was a letter in there uh, and a $5 bill or something like that. Of course, now with all the technology, I don't know what college to do. I guess, you know, it's a t totally different thing. But I remember those days hoping there would be a card or some, something from somebody from home. We most of the time want someone to encourage us. But now as mature believers, as you'll be Christian workers one day, evangelists and pastors and missionaries and teachers and businessmen and women and all wives and fathers, these times of devastating distress will come. And that's not the worst part. There may not be someone to come along to prop you up. There may not be, as you would like, on demand someone to come alongside you, as we all ought to try to be encouragers. We know that. But there will be times when nobody can encourage you. We should all be encouragers. Seeking to be a blessing exhorting others, edifying them, encouraging. One of the reasons for the local church and for corporate worship, as we read there in Hebrews 10, 25, reminds us that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Even every time God's people assemble, and even as you are here in Christian chapel, it should be to, we should exhort one another, which means to admonish and to warn and to urge and to encourage. That's what Christians do. The word here has the connotation, the word encouraging in our text has the connotation of strengthening, even curing. His soul is sick. Uh, helping, repairing, fortifying, recovering. This is the work of the ministry. But I will tell you, you cannot minister to others until you learn to minister to yourself. And this is not a selfish thing where you're holed up in a room all day long just reading the Bible. That's not what we're talking about. But you must grab hold of these truths and learn how in these times of devastation to encourage, to rebuild, to repair yourself in the Lord. It is the work of the ministry. And many times we'll have to minister to our own selves in this way. David's true spirituality had been eclipsed by some wrong decisions wrong reasonings. Turn back with me, if you will, just a chapter two to chapter 27 in verse 1. David's thinking isn't right. Have you ever talked to someone, you're thinking, they're not right. They're not, they're not thinking right. They ought to know better, but they're not processing this thing right. In 1 Samuel 27 verse 1, David said in his heart, he's in exile, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, and Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in the coast of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. Wow, what warped thinking. I'm going to die. If I stay here, Saul's going to kill me. This was a lie, wasn't it? This is wrong thinking. This is a fiery dart from the wicked one. Dark thought from, from, the, from Satan. Had he forgotten 
that God has already anointed him to be king of Israel. Remember? Samuel's found him out. The least of his father's sons and poured the anointing oil on him. David, you're going to be the next king of Israel. Okay, let's, let's think about this. How can Saul kill me if I'm already anointed by the high priest to be the next king of Israel? Remember the disciples in the boat when the Lord was asleep? Carest thou not that we perish? If they believed he was the Messiah, could the boat have sunk? Could it, in any physical, reasonable thinking, could it, the boat have sunk with God in it? We're the Lord's. We're his purchased possession. He that hath begun a good work in you will finish it. David believed a lie. We should always ask ourselves, on a regular basis, it's good soul work to say, am I believing something that's not true? Is there any lie that I'm believing? Remember, all that Satan has are lies. But you shall know the, you know the next word, you shall know what? The truth and the truth will set you free. That's why you're studying Romans and Hebrews and methods of Bible study and all the things that you're studying here. You shall know the truth and then the, what's not true will be obvious, won't it? I'm told that in the counterfeit department, they study the real deal, then the, the counterfeit sticks out like a, a, a sore thumb because they know the real so well. What lie am I believing? Make no provision for the flesh. Neither give place to the devil. Do you see what David has done? He's, he's left himself wide open. God had told King Saul through Samuel after Saul had usurped the priest's position. Remember, Saul got antsy. Samuel was late in his mind, and so he went ahead and offered the burnt offering himself. And God judged Saul and said, but now thy kingdom shall not continue, back in chapter 13, verse 14. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. That famous description of David, that's where it's given when Saul has been told the kingdom will be taken from him. God is seeking someone after his own heart, someone who seeks after God's heart, who's after the things that God is concerned about. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Have you been true to the trust he left us? Do we seek to do our best? How then did David encourage himself in the Lord? That's my introduction. Okay? Three points. But don't worry, I'm watching the clock and I'll be through here in just a moment. Three, three points. When a pastor says, I've just got two or three points, that's not anything to judge it by, is it? Those, those can be long. But the Puritans used to have points and subpoints and subpoints, and it would go on and on and on. Three points. How did David encourage himself in the Lord? And it goes to, without saying that he, he repented of his sins. The Holy Spirit doesn't record for us everything. We know that David has got to get right with the Lord. There's no encouragement if there's unconfessed sin in our lives. So we know that David had to deal with his sins. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what lessons can we learn from David's experience? I always think of that verse, that promise and warning in Proverbs 28, verse 13. Whoso covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh his sin shall have mercy. First of all, how did David encourage himself in the Lord? 
we should encourage ourselves in the Lord by rejoicing over our present provisions. Rejoicing over present provisions. Now, when you look at this scenario in David's life, what, what presently is there to encourage yourself with? I mean, the ashes of the marauding Amalekites, the ashes left, that's all that's left of the town where they live. There's no belongings. There's not a, a sign that their wives or children are alive. The village is burned. The, the family is kidnapped. Their possessions are stolen. It doesn't get much worse than this, does it? Always pause, young people and older people alike, and count your blessings. Are there not blessings? Does the Bible not say he daily loaded us with benefits? Loaded? We're loaded down with benefits? Let me ask, was David dead? No. Isn't that a blessing that we're alive today? He's not dead. We have to start from the bottom sometimes. He's alive. He has his faculties about him. He's not kidnapped. What a blessing. Were any of his mighty men or his associates dead? Not a one. They're all alive. In fact, he will soon recover all the prisoners kidnapped and repossess all that was taken, verse 18 tells us. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and there was nothing lacking. David recovered all, the Holy Spirit reminds us. He recovered it all. God's providence and protection kept the children and women safe. Not one of them was harmed. How unlike the Amalekites not to do that. We will not go into detail, but so many horrible things could have taken place that did not. Proverbs 21, verse 1, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and his rivers of water he turneth it whithersoever he will. God is in control in devastating times. Matthew Henry, the great expositor, several hundred years ago, he was mugged one day and robbed. And he reported after, he said, Well, I praise God for it. He was one of those people that saw good things and everything, and those around him shook their heads and said, praise God for, for being mugged. And he said, yes, first I thank God that although he took all my money, it wasn't very much. <laughs> he didn't get much, much out of me. Most of us could say that today. You know, if we got mugged, they wouldn't have very much. I thank God, secondly, that while he took my money, which can be replaced, he did not take my life. And thirdly, I thank God that Though I was robbed and beaten, I was the victim and not the perpetrator. Thank God that things are as well as they are with us just now. There's always benefits, there's always blessings to praise God for. Even in times of darkness, even in times of devastation, start praising His name. He is worthy to be praised. Secondly, in times of great discouragement, we see that David encouraged himself by prevailing prayer. And I put it prevailing prayer. It's not just prayer, but it's prayer that prevails upon the Lord. Begs for direction. Calls out the promises of God. Now what we need to know here as we look at this particular 
point is that David had not prayed about going to live among the Philistines. He had not asked the Lord, would it be okay for me to hang out with the enemies for a while and just disappear and ghost out and so that Saul will not be looking for me? Can I just do that? Of course the answer would have been, no, David, I will protect you where you are. Have you not been protected up until now? Why would you do that, David? David was thinking wrong. He said, I will die if I stay here. I'm going to die. Oh, no, you're not. To be sure, he had not sought the Lord or his will when he fled for refuge among the Philistines. No more than Abraham did when he went down to Egypt when famine came. Abraham didn't ask God, would it be all right to go get help down in Egypt? And we see there in, in verse 7 of our text, And David said to Abiathar, the priest, Abimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither uh, the ephod. Now you know the ephod was a part of the high priestly garment. It had the Urim and Thummim in it, the little black and white stone. The high priest would take it out to determine God's will. That was an Old Testament dispensation that God used among his people. And that was for them, the Urim and the Thummim. And deciding the Lord's will is not decided like that now. We have far greater ways to determine God's will than the Urim and Thummim of the high priest's uh, garment. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. I will lead you and guide you, how? Into all truth. If any of you lack wisdom, what are you supposed to do? Ask God, he will give it. And where would you get it, by the way? From his infallible word. Not even David had all of God's word to go by. We have everything that God wants people to know in this book here. There's nothing else to be revealed to us. Every principle that will lead us to, to heaven is given here, and how to live until we get there is in this book. Reminded himself, we have these resources. No matter what our circumstances are, determining the will of God is always the first order of business. Once you get that nailed down, everything else will find its place. Where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? All right, settled. There's nothing more encouraging than knowing and doing God's will. I have served at my place of service uh, it will be 42 years in, in June. Sometimes people ask me about that. I went there. I was a classroom teacher. I was principal. You know you know how it is. You've done it, you've done it all. I used to worry about what am I going to do next. And Donald told me I've done it all except teach kindergarten. And I couldn't do that. But, so I breathed a sigh of relief. And there's no special talent or anything like that about staying somewhere that period of time. It's just you find out where God wants you to be, and that settles it. Don't do anything else. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Our encouragement, our strength to carry on comes largely by doing the known and revealed will of God. And young people, when something devastating happens, what I have found over the years, just do the next thing, the next thing you're supposed to do, the next thing of your duty, the next thing in God's will for you. There is healing there is peace in doing God's will in a tangible way. You see in verse 8, David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this truth? Do I go get our stuff back? Our wives, our children, our belongings? Shall I overtake? Not only does he ask him, should he do it? How should I do it? Should I overtake them or just pursue them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without 
fail, recover all. What a promise. See that promise of God? Well, if you got that, that word to you, you can do anything. Go overtake them. I'll be with you. You're going to get everything back. Who can't do that? David has no rest, peace among the Philistines. He's not where he should be. He's been out of God's will. He asks God and God tells him what to do. We rejoice over our present circumstances that things are as well as they are, right? Rejoice and remind yourself of the blessings of God. Then you, you resort to prevailing prayer. Ask God. And thirdly, David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God, by, and this is implied, though not expressed, for we know there is no encouragement from the Lord apart from God's word. David reminded himself of the promises of God. We recall, as we've already mentioned in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel sought David, the youngest of Jesse's sons, and anointed him to be king. And the Bible says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Hebrews 13, 5. Be content with such things as you have. Why? For I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. What a promise. No matter what the situation is, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Being confident, Philippians 1, 6, of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, the work of salvation, the ongoing work of sanctification, he that has done all of that, who went to Calvary to make it possible, he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it. How long? Until the day of Christ. Until our glorification. We will be crowned one day. And we will reign with our Lord as He has promised. Revelation 20, verse 6. They shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years. Praise God for His promises. They shall never be rescinded. As long as God lives, His promises are extended to His people. This is our treasury. This is our inheritance, our portion. The Lord is my portion, the psalmist said. Martha Snell Nicholson spent most of her life bedridden. I believe she lost a baby. She very seldom ventured out of her own room or home. But she left a rich legacy of poetry. And one of those, to me, speaks of this very thing. One by one, he took them from me. All the things I valued most. Until I stood there empty-handed, every glittering toy was lost. And I walked earth's highways grieving in my rags and poverty till I heard his voice inviting, lift your empty hands to me. So I held my hands toward heaven and he filled them with a store of his own transcendent riches until they could contain no more. And at last I comprehended with my stupid mind and dull that God cannot pour out his riches into hands already full. 